0: Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Shami Stovall, the author of The Frith Chronicles, Ethereal Squadron, and The Star Mark Rising. Now, The Frith Chronicles are a series of books um, that have five. Is it, am I correct on that right now, or is there six?
1: Yeah, currently five in the series.
0: And The Ethereal Squadron, there's two currently?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Perfect. And then you said the Star Mark Rising is going to be a trilogy. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Shammy, go ahead and um introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your books.
1: Well, uh, my name is shami Stovall, and my first chronicles are probably my most popular and longest series so far. And it's a YA um, fantasy adventure, kind of set in like a Pirates of the Caribbean world, but with magic. Uh, I think the main draw of them that everybody really likes is that people get magic by bonding with magical creatures. You know, like if you bond with a phoenix, you kind of get fire and healing powers. And if you bond with a unicorn, you get like immunity to poison and other things like that. So depending on the type of magical creature uh, determines all of your magic. And people really love, you know, that kind of high adventure type, type fantasy series. So that's what that is. The ethereal squadron is more of an adult uh fantasy novel where there are secret sorcerers in world war one that are fighting kind of a secret magical war you know in the background uh-huh. i uh have a history degree and i really like world war one and i know that most people like world war ii and by like i put that in big quotes because people don't like wars but they are more fascinated with world war ii because of all of the you know crazy shenanigans that happen in that but world war one was one of those wars where we used to do ancient fighting, you know, like on horses and charges up hills and stuff like that. And World War One was the really the first time that a lot of modern warfare was used. So right. there's a lot of funny blunders, I would say, like trench warfare and stuff. And again, funny is in big fat quotes because it was more horrific than funny. But oh, yeah. I liked that uh, like mix of old school and modern, and so I that's why I chose World War One uh, to set this fantasy setting in. And Star Mark Rising is more classic science fiction set in a completely different galaxy. It's a space opera, so there are lots of characters and things going on. But I super love science fiction, and this is about um, superhumans, like genetically engineered superhumans, and then normal people attempting to be in a society where there are just, you know, God-like humans that are also there so they feel very outcast because they're not as smart or as fast or as tall as all of the genetically perfect human beings so it's more of a story like that
0: nice so all these are totally different um, you know different setting different different type of story like how do you come up with your ideas for these
1: Um, Well, I just really, really love storytelling in general. I I think I started by, um, like, dungeon mastering for D&D, and so, you know, as the DM, you would make up your own stories and campaigns for all the players to play in, and a lot of people told me I was really good at it, so I started writing my own, like, novels, Um, and I, you know, I thought I was silly, because I was like, oh, nobody's going to like my novels, but then everybody who read them was like, oh, shit, you should, you know, you should be an author, so... Oh, I apologize. That's okay. Yeah, um, family friendly. They said, "Oh, snap! You should be an author." So there we go. That's yeah. how it started.
0: And you said you have a history degree. Um, I'm sure that helps out a lot mm-hmm. in um, in in writing, especially in like alternate history. Um, what did you specialize in any particular area, or is it just a like a is that like a bachelor's degree in history? Is that what you did? So it's more general.
1: Yeah, I, um, I got a bachelor's degree in history, but then I went on to get my Juris Doctorate. So I have uh, an entire you know, other degree in law. <laughs> and technically, I mean, I, most people don't know this, because I kind of wrote it under a different name, but I wrote legal thrillers before um, that were published through a publishing house. But I don't like law. And even my legal thrillers, I don't really point anybody to them because I'm like, hey, so <laughs> um, yeah, I used to work as an attorney and other things
0: like that. Yeah. I read you had your juris doctor. That's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. It it takes a lot of schooling to get that. So, and I'm sure that helps too. I mean, with your, your thrillers that you, that you said you wrote, but you don't write in that genre anymore.
1: No, um, I would still think it helps um, just because a lot of uh, the legal training is um, comparative analysis and reading comprehension skills. So I feel like I got better in terms of writing just from my legal degree, so I try to use it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, when you create your own world, which is essentially what writers do, if they're writing, you know, fantasy, science fiction um, type things, or even alternate history, sometimes you have to be in charge of everything, so you have to know a little about a little about a lot, and so I, I'm both those. I mean, history, you have to go back and. Especially with a, a fantasy setting. I mean you're you're doing pirates. Um, mm-hmm. kind of a pirate fantasy that you can bond magical creatures. I'm sure you have to look back in what you know, what was going on with the with, with pirates back in the seventeen, eighteen, even further back, sixteen hundreds, to, to kinda of research what kind of ships they built, what kind of you know, rigging they would have used and stuff like this, what type of swords. Mm-hmm. Although in fantasy you can kinda of get away with cheating, but you still have to have a basis of it.
1: Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I was uh, really fascinated by the golden age of piracy, where they had um, privateers and like entire port cities that were basically just pirate havens. Um, Because there were a lot of ships that were coming out of North and South America that just carried, you know, buckets of gold. And so a lot of people were like, Oh, my God, those are just floating treasure chests. Let's just go get them. And so there was a lot of Piracy around just attacking ships and taking everything they could, or captains of these gold ships just turning into a pirate, right? Just sailing away with all the money themselves. So I really thought all those were very interesting, and a lot of fantasy settings are usually set in kind of a landlocked society. Um, so having like a an island setting, I thought would at least be interesting and unique.
0: Yeah, I I love this shift that is shift that is happening with with fantasy. It used to be based on kind of like a Tolkienian, I guess, like ancient England type thing. And oh, yeah. and people are, you know, writing fantasy settings in, um, you know, like taking Korean culture or Indian culture or even Western culture and having fantastic West uh, fantasy settings. And, mm. and it's, I, I think it's just wonderful because we get to see and open our eyes to different cultures.
1: Yeah. Well, just having, um, unique settings is is really fascinating i don't know if you've read um brandon sanderson but uh he he makes up a lot of his own stuff that's like not even in my opinion really based on any cultures like worlds that are set on floating stones and stuff like that and you're like whoa um so just even the the physical land structure being different like so different that you're like wow that would affect your whole culture you know if you were if you were living uh, on a floating rock, it's way different than if you're living in the middle of a beautiful plains, you know what I'm saying? So um, all, all the differences. I mean, I agree with you. I think that um, Tolkien type stuff was really popular for a very long time, but now it's like, uh, it's expanding.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been a wonderful shift in this genre and I love it. Um, So what is a a typical day for you? Like um, do you, like when you, when you sit down and write, do you do you have a specific time limit that you set yourself, or do you do you have a word count, or do you just write a few chapters? like what's what are your goals?
1: Uh, well, I'll, I write every day, and I usually, uh, and I know this is gonna sound like a what, a what a lazy bum, but I usually wake up around noon and uh, and then for the most part of the day, I do you know like other things that aren't related to writing up until about like five. And usually around five, I'll I'll see people or do things or, you know, go to a restaurant or something like that. And then usually around like nine o'clock, that's when I'll start writing. And then I'll write until like four in the morning Um, because writing at night is it's just there's a lot less distractions. There are a lot less people awake. It's a lot quieter. There's nothing else going on. I can just sit in my office and just do all the writing that I want. And I'm usually pretty productive. I don't set for myself word counts, although I will have due dates, you know, to have a book done by. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, if I want to get this book done by, you know, 30 days, I'll need to write at least a thousand words a day or something like that. Um, But I don't really set myself that kind of goal. I just set myself the, I need to write for this period of time. So I try to have myself available when everybody else is typically awake, you know, after work type of. Thing like ah, oh, my schedule's free then, so I can hang with people. And then in the middle of the night,
0: that's when I'm super busy. Nice. No, the reason why I ask is because people are so different, and you're not the first person that I've interviewed that said, "like you know, I do most of my writing starting at nine at night." You know, even Brandon Sanderson, you mentioned him earlier. He writes like you till four in the morning. He plays video games and sleeps till noon. So, <laughs> I, I I think that people that are just starting out writing. Um, will benefit from everybody kind of saying what they what they do because they can try it and see what works for them
1: yeah well I um i think for a lot of people who are like new into it it feels intimidating or daunting because you know writing an entire book from, from nothing is like my god it's so long and my my advice all the time is uh and it's pretty pretty standard advice i think among authors but it's still really good advice is that you know you can edit a page you've written or a paragraph you've written or a sentence you've written, but you can't edit a blank page. So you just have to try and find whatever time you can to write as little or as much as you want. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a speed writer like Stephen King or something like that. Who's over here knocking out a book every weekend. uh, If you get something down, it's better than nothing.
0: Right. It's like the old um, analogy, like you can't steer a parked car. Like it has to be moving a little bit. So, like you said get yeah, get something yeah, down perfect. and it's easy to edit so um do you work from an outline or do you free write how do you what are what's some of your i guess techniques or habits for that uh
1: well in the writing community they call them pantsers or plotters. yeah I know. <laughs> you know people who work from the seat of their pants those pants I've had
0: people like say I'm I'm so glad you didn't call it a pantser cuz I hate that phrase and I've also heard like gardens and architects <laughs> gardeners and architects oh
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I've heard those too. Um, I'm a huge advocate for outlining. I always know what the end of my book is gonna be long before I start writing, because I feel like, and maybe this is me just being me, I like the ending the most in books. That's my favorite part to get to. It's usually the part that I'll remember the most, like it'll have the highest impact. So I like the endings to be cool and amazing. And when you start writing, it's a little bit easier when you know where you're headed as opposed to, you know, you're just meandering along. Right. Um, and if you always have an end goal in mind, then you can always be working towards that end goal. So I really advocate for outlining, but I understand that some people don't do it. And, you know, I guess if it works for them, it works for them, but I have always outlined and I've always found it to be extremely beneficial. So I, I'm a person who plots or architects. However you <laughs> say. It.
0: So do you use, uh, like a plotting technique, um, like a three-act structure or I know Dan Harmon's plot, like story structure is very popular. Um, you know, the hero's journey. Do you, do you have anything like that? Or did you come up with your own?
1: I, uh, I did. I technically run um, like a workshop for outlining. I've done it a couple times and I have my own like handout that I give people. And, you know, if you pardon the language, the handout is titled pick your shit. And it's just an encouragement handout because a lot of people get, Wrapped up in the I don't want to make final decisions right now. Like, oh, I don't want to outline because I'm boxing myself in. And what if I have a creative genius moment later when I'm writing and I don't want my outline to stop me from doing that? Um, And I just encourage people to pick stuff in the beginning. And if you write and if you have another idea, if you have an outline that is structured really well, you can easily, almost like Legos, rearrange it later and put it back together. So I have. I have a handout for that where I give it to people, and I'm like, hey, just pick these key things that you need right now to start writing, and then later you can change stuff if you want. Um, I did read a ton of articles about 3x structures and 6x structures and the difference between them, Um, so I prefer three-act structures but technically six-act structures are really good for really really long stories or i guess if you're planning a series of books and you want to keep a coherent narrative as opposed to willy-nilly all over the place um or like serialized series where every book is almost a standalone book like the like the dresden series you know each book has its own case file you know dresden out there doing a thing but you know that kind of thing yeah
0: so are you pretty detailed um Like do you outline every chapter or do you just have like overall kind of guideposts? Like that's how I'm going to get there.
1: Uh, I outline it in the acts themselves. So act one, um, normally what an act one has is like an inciting incident and a hook and a mention to a villain and things like that. So I just have here are all the things I need in act one, you know, in like an act one Mm -hmm. section and then in act two, we need some rising tension. We need a reversal. We need, foreshadowing to the conclusion so then i have an entire section that's just here all the things and here's the rough order that they need to come in so that it's you know coherent and logical and not all over the place yeah and then i have an entire section for an act three which is you know resolution to a conflict uh, you know the lowest point in the story um a crescendo the the lowering uh, tension those kinds of things so i i structure them like that and sometimes chapters can get you know, longer or shorter. So I don't usually outline the chapters because I'll just stop a chapter where I feel like it's a natural stopping point.
0: Okay. That's really cool that you um, do it that way. And um, one thing that I I love is foreshadowing and the people that do it right, it it just blows you away.
1: Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. Every book that I've ever read where There's been subtle foreshadowing where, you know, maybe you could have figured it out if you were like really obsessed with every word and going over stuff. Um, It has always felt like, well, what a surprise when it finally all comes together. And I don't think I've been as angry with the book as books that don't do any (laughs) foreshadowing or just have a like surprise. Uh, Do you have
0: any examples of of ones that you liked? Any books that you liked? I know that's kind of an on the spot question, so it might not.
1: I really liked Ender's Game i felt like the i mean uh, spoiler alert although i think this book is like 30 or 40 years old yeah so i think, think it's past for, time yeah um they tell the you know they tell the main character and all the kids in this like super genius school that they're going through a simulation to defeat aliens and the plot twist at the end of the book is, is it's not a simulation it was all for realsies yeah. um and i think that that was probably one of those really amazing mind-blowing moments because if you you could kind of tell that the adults knew that this was for reals, but none of the kids did if you were really paying attention. Like if you read it a second time after knowing what the plot twist is, you're like, oh. So I really liked that one specifically where I was just just blown away, but I thought it was done really, really well.
0: No, it was. My second son is named Ender after Ender's Game.
1: Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: And my third son, we call him Bean.
1: Yeah, well, that's fantastic because it's a it's a great book, just an amazing novel, and I felt like it just did a lot of things masterfully. So
0: let's go back to to your youth a little bit. You said you played D anD D a lot, and you were a DM. Mm -hmm. Like, do you remember kind of like what the first books were that you read that got you into fantasy and science fiction?
1: Um, Well, I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy long before I even played D anD D. When I was young, like in high school, middle school, uh, that kind of stuff. I think the first book I ever read where I was like, oh, man, I've never even thought of stuff like that was Island of the Blue Dolphins. It's like required reading in like elementary school. But it's a story about a girl who just lives all by herself on an island and has to like fend for herself and tame some wild dogs and stuff like that. And it was just interesting because I had never thought to myself, you know, what if you were just alone on an island living there? What would you do to live? You know, so I thought it kind of blew my mind a little bit in my tiny child mind. Um, and then I started reading uh, like heavy science fiction. So I had a lot of anthology books that were like, what if we all had telepathy? Or um, what if we had telepathy to cats? That was a short story that I really thought was interesting because they would then use cats in like, um, like away missions, you know, like put the cat in a tiny the space uh, suit <laughs> basically and send them down to places that could be dangerous because they're like, oh, it's cats, it's not human lives, but the, the cats were sentient. So then it was like, oh my goodness, so all the drama. Um, and then I started reading a lot of things by Robert Hyland. and he technically wrote some books for children like Red Planet, like everybody settling Mars and stuff. And I was like, wow, this totally blew my mind too. And then I read a trilogy called like the Black Jewels trilogy, which was a fantasy, like high fantasy that was very adult but I was still a young kid, so that also blew my mind, because I, I was like, wow, that guy just got tortured, and there are explicit scenes that I've never even contemplated things like that. So I just kept reading all the time, and I just <laughs> it just kept blowing my mind over and over again, being like, whoa, never even thought of these things. So books always had, like, surprises for me, where I was like, hmm. I also played a lot of video games and I felt like there's a huge overlap of like science fiction and fantasy and video games. I mean, I played all the like Final Fantasy games when I was younger and I'm like, wow, Final Fantasy, my goodness. You know, um, I I don't know if you're into video games as much as like reading or other things like that. But Final Fantasy 7 has um, a science fiction and fantasy setting and that was... One of the first times where I was like, my God, what if we all lived in a post apocalyptic magical world with magic machines? Yeah. So, yeah, just lots of things to imagine and contemplate. I had just a great time with those types of stories. So, you know, this is an easy transition into, wow, what if I wrote my own crazy dystopian future?
0: <laughs> I love video games, and it is, I don't know, it is such a, uh, valuable form of storytelling i like storytelling in, in any kind of form
1: actually in all seriousness any stories where i'm caught completely off guard like in game you know final fantasy 3 those types of games or stories it, it always i remember a, a little bit clearer than other types of stories so
0: so like some of the authors that have influenced you um do you have any like older um when you were a kid that of authors that you read that influenced you or do you have any now that are writing today that influence you uh,
1: well i would definitely say that robert highland was a huge influence i read a lot of his books and my favorite book is one of his books um i guess anne bishop the lady who wrote those dark jewels trilogy mm-hmm. books uh would be influential and stephen king because for a a brief period in my life i was really really into like horror type stories and um tom clancy i read a lot of like um i guess just classical thrillers like then the super secret agent spy jumped out and punched a dude in the throat and then he took down all the terrorists (laughs) and you're like so um those guys i would say influenced me before i think currently um i have a weird love-hate relationship with a lot of modern stuff Uh, I've read a lot of modern books and sometimes I just get disheartened because I'm not, I'm not into them. Um, or people give them to me saying things like, oh, you'll totally like this. And one example was I I was really into reading vampire books and someone was like, my God, you should read Twilight and Twilight really isn't a vampire book. Just, you know, (laughs) another spoiler alert. So, uh, I was a little disheartened with that. And then somebody gave me a book that was about a female gamer and it was not about it was it it was one of those books where i was like this isn't about video games and this isn't about anything that i'm interested in why did it market itself as is a book like that so then i was also sad <laughs> and so i feel like i'm disappointed a lot in books that have been published i think in the last you know five years but um right before that there are a lot of great books that came out that you know i, I was into so um, in all seriousness, I think a lot of indie authors do a lot of great stuff. Um, Will White is probably one of the more famous indie authors who wrote the Cradle series. And, uh, you know, stuff like his, I think, is more comparable to the stuff I'm writing.
0: So so being an indie author, you're kind of in charge of everything. Um, so after you get a book written, like, what's your editing process?
1: Uh, I hire editors and proofreaders. I also have like a writer's critique group. So while I'm writing the book, um, you know, I submit a couple chapters at a time to other authors who are also writing and then we meet, you know, like once a week to talk about um, the chapters we have, if they're coherent, you know, what works, what doesn't work. So while I'm writing, I have those types of help or that type of editing. And then when I'm all done with the book, like a professional editor edits it, and then I hire a bunch of proofreaders to then finally catch typos and then, I've technically been traditionally published a few times and the traditionally published they do the exact same thing they have an editor who does like the editing they have proofreaders although i think one of the things with the professional publishing houses that always made me laugh is they would have a fact checker like somebody who just would go through your manuscript and check facts so when i wrote those legal thrillers for example some guy would go through and check like if i mentioned the type of gun or anything like that he would fact check all the things about the the guns or the cars or um Uh, the laws in certain states and stuff so that was always amusing i don't hire a fact checker because i'm most of my facts are all correct so i don't necessarily need one but that that amazing
0: and yet things still slip through (laughs) that's wrong
1: (laughs) right yeah well it happens it happens all the time even in when traditionally published places apparently the industry standard in like a traditional published thing is you can have 15 typos in the book and they consider that okay like Yeah, it's totally fine. That's industry standard. Uh, Well, Harry Potter is probably one of the best-selling book series of all time. And her book series, like the first edition, second edition, third edition, prints of them, had tons of typos. (laughs) Like there's an entire wiki page dedicated to the typos in the Harry Potter books because there were so many.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it amused me or factual errors, like, and these ones are just silly, because who would even know this, but sometimes she would be like, oh, I had class on October 27th, a Wednesday, and somebody would be like, hey, Wednesday doesn't occur on October 27th, unless it's this year, and this year, and these books don't take place in those years, so this is wrong, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, nobody would ever really know that, you know what I'm saying?
0: (laughs) No, and you're right, like, um, you kind of have to treat your indie um, publishing just like a traditional publisher, where you have to f- hire an editor and stuff. But as as an indie um, publisher, you're in charge of finding editors and and cover art and stuff like that. Like now you've been doing this mm-hmm. for a while, so I'm sure you have an editor that you've been using for a little while. But like, how hard was it to find like a good quality editor, or were you able to reach out to to friends or self published people that have already been published and, and ask them?
1: I reached out to a couple editors actually and I tried I tried all their services to see you know which ones um would be the best uh, you know who has a, a quick turnaround time with a quick or with a you know they do their job well and there were a couple editors that I had gone through who either didn't do the work very well or made mistakes themselves where then it you know it's a hassle when I have to go through somebody's edits and I notice that they make an edit that's incorrect and I'm like oh why did why did I pay this person? Um so I did go through a couple editors, but I found found at least two now who work really, really well. And I worked with a couple different cover artists and then I found one guy and he lives in Serbia and he's just an amazing he's an amazing artist. He does really great work. Every time that I work with him, he just has great um inspiration for book covers. I uh, my Arcanist series, um the frith chronicles with the magical creatures and stuff he did all the covers for those and i feel like they really really work they look they look like they're in a series together you know like every book looks like it belongs together and he just did an amazing job i didn't even tell him to do that really i was just like hey if the book cover could have like a phoenix and a sword or something that'd be amazing (laughs) so he just came back with that because he's just a creative genius over here um so i really like working with him and i basically exclusively work with him now even though I I had technically worked with other artists in the past. So sometimes it's trial and error. There are a lot of helpful like Facebook groups or Twitter groups where people um, talk about their experiences with people or recommend individuals. So I'm sure I I could have saved myself some heartache if I had just followed other people's recommendations, but I didn't mind um, doing the discovery process just to see who uh, I would work best with.
0: No, and that's one thing about this indie publishing world that I love is it's bringing the world closer together small like your your artist is in serbia i talked to another um author whose artist is in the philippines like it's reaching out and it's bringing talented people together um all over the world and i find it amazing
1: Mm. and my editor is in south africa yeah so yeah Yeah. i uh there's there's people all over the world that do great work and uh and it's really great to be able to like work with them over the internet basically um So it is, it is pretty fantastic,
0: especially in these times that, you know, this pandemic has really hurt a lot of, um, people, but in, in this industry, if you're a talented editor or something, like if you get fired from a job, you can find work still. And, and it, you know, not even from your home country, if you, if you're lucky enough.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like websites that allow you to just kind of post your skill set and allow you to get hired, you know, like like Fiverr or like 99designs. Like there are actual marketplaces where you can kind of just put your name in there and be like, Hey, you know, give me 20 bucks and I'll edit, uh, you know, your query letter. I'll edit your blurb for your book or I'll edit uh, 10,000 words or something like that. And people will hire you.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Big thing about being a self published author. And, and like you said, I know you've been traditionally published as well, but you know, you're, you're kind of in charge of the marketing and, and getting your book sold. How, how do you stay current with, um, with Amazon and other, um, platforms? I mean, sometimes things that work six months ago is totally changed. How do you stay current?
1: With Amazon specifically, Amazon kind of has like an, like an algorithm. Um, and everybody will, you know, talk about the algorithm, but, uh, Amazon likes to promote things like itself, because if you, if you publish on Amazon, they always take a a small piece of it. So they have an incentive to kind of push your work and and get you out there and what will happen is is if somebody buys your book and then they buy another book whenever in the future another person comes along and they purchase book b they'll recommend my book automatically because other people in the past purchased both my book and book b so um that's convenient and amazon has a way internally how you can advertise to people who like certain categories And technically um, I advertise that way. I also advertise on Facebook because Facebook has its own algorithm where it will, you know, advertise things to people who like books or who say that they like fantasy or things like that. And so I have advertising campaigns and occasionally I'll do things like run books for 99 cents and then, you know, send it out in newsletters and other, you know, tactics like that. I guess it's a low key constant in the background like i'll do a 99 cent sale once every three months or so to try and get new readers i have a newsletter all my own where i announce things to old readers or people who really like my work and be like hey i've got a new book coming out you know please pre-order um, amazon has like a bestseller category which i've been in uh, many times and anytime you get to a bestseller category amazon Will then promote your work as well like they'll send it in the newsletters you know they email people being like hey maybe you should check out this book by shani stovall so there are lots of different advertising avenues and i guess i'm low-key in almost all of them it's just a way to attempt to get new readers at any given moment um and you normally around like a new book release so if i was putting out first chronicles book six you know maybe i would put the new book or the first book on sale for 99 cents and really push or talk about it on social media and stuff. So I guess it is a constant thing I have to do in life, but since I'm personally managing it, um, it never feels like, Oh no, something suddenly changed. It more feels like, you know, I'm just constantly doing it constantly tweaking or managing it. So never sneaks up and and gets you.
0: No, that's actually good advice to do something, um, constantly. So it never does sneak up and get you.
1: Yeah, I would definitely recommend that for other, um, if people want to do ending, indie publishing.
0: I guess there are those people who write books and don't, I mean, are just writing just for writing sakes. Like, oh yeah, I put out a novel and don't really care if it does well, but I think most indie authors would like to sell their books. So, I guess a constant diligence is, is a key to to that.
1: Yeah. It's not quite as daunting And as, as I like maybe made that out to be like, once you, once you understand how those algorithms work, I feel like it's a little easier. Like, you know, maybe it's a really steep learning curve because not a lot of people are over here masters of a, of an algorithm, but uh, the moment that you learn it, then later maintenance of it is, is low key. Like I said, it's not, it's not all consuming. It's just something I do have to deal with.
0: Yeah. And that's something that, an author, a writer that wants to become an author and, and sell books, especially on the indie route, they might not think of that that side of it. Like, you know, you're running a business. You're not just a, an artist. And so you, that's something that you do have to maintain and, and keep afloat of if you want to sell your books and do it professionally. So, so on that, um, related to marketing, I know this pandemic has got everything shut down, but it looks like things might get kind of back to normal. Um, do you have any plans of going to any conventions to... Or or signings or anything like that?
1: Um, well last year I was invited as a panelist for DragonCon, but then because of the pandemic, you know, DragonCon obviously didn't take place. Uh, so I was readmitted again for a panelist this year and hopefully, you know, hopefully this year it'll go. It's scheduled for September. I assume it'll probably will probably be open, you know, things will be normal by December, at least I hope. And so if it is, then I'll probably I'll be at Dragon Con for sure.
0: Nice. I hear that's a big one. I've never been.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Dragon Con either, but it's a huge uh, like fantasy and I guess science fiction like convention, and they've got D&D stuff, and they've got video games, and they've got TV shows, and they've got books, you know, like anything that's related to science fiction or fantasy. Um, they, they've got it out the wazoo, and uh, I was on a fantasy panel like for a fantasy book series um, with a few other like, you know, uh, authors. And I was excited to meet a lot of them like in person. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll meet them this year, hopefully. But last year I was a little disappointed that I didn't get to go. But I'm sure it'll be amazing this year.
0: <laughs> is there anybody that you would be like a screaming fan of if you may like just do you, I don't know if you're like that, but is there anybody that you just want to meet? <laughs>
1: i think the people that i would be like um a screaming fan of probably wouldn't be at like dragon con um i think i would get like pretty like oh shit this guy if i was to meet like um sanderson just because he's he's like whoa um i would i mean of most of the people who i would really really want to meet are dead or related about video games like uh Miyamoto is a is a man who did a lot of the old Nintendo games, like The Legend of Zelda and like Mario and stuff like that. So I'd be really interested in meeting him, but I doubt he's there. Um, I guess it would be really interesting to meet uh, George R. R. Martin just because his work has become so crazy famous, but I only really like the first three books in his series. I was not a fan of Book four and five and I didn't really watch the TV show, so, um, I don't know if I'd be a screaming fangirl, but I would just be like, Whoa, your stuff is like uber famous. Um, I would like to meet Stephen King and uh, probably John Ringo or David Weber, those guys would be interesting to, to meet in person.
0: So, uh, Shami, I appreciate you getting on before we go. Um, so is there anything that sort of has surprised you in your journey to become an author?
1: Um, surprised me. Uh, well. I guess the thing that surprised me the most was traditionally publishing. Uh, There isn't as much money in it anymore. Like uh, if you read a lot of success stories from a lot of people, it's from a long time ago. Um, But I, I didn't realize how much money everybody takes along the way. I know that's gonna sound insane, but I had an agent, we had a publishing house, you know, the publishing house takes money, the agent takes money. By the time that you get money, it's very, very low and very, very delayed. And I was just shocked by that, I guess. Um, a lot of people made being an author out to be like, wow, and then you just quit your day job immediately because you got a book deal. And I'm like, wow, I got like several book deals. And well, they weren't like terrible, they weren't like, oh, then you quit your day job. You know what I'm saying? But as an indie author, I definitely quit my day job. And it's uh, I, I started my own company. like Capital Station Books is my own company that I run all my stuff from. And it's just been way way better. I, I don't know. I think when I first started doing writing, everybody was like looked down on indie publishing and was like, you're only a real author if you get traditionally published. And now there's a piece of me that's like, well, but traditionally published sucks. So um, I, I don't know why you would even go that route. Like there's a piece of me that feels like, why why would you even do it? <laughs> but um, I think it's still kind of that way. And now, even like I feel like new writers are still like, "Oh, I definitely want to get an agent. I definitely want to be traditionally published." And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, you can do that." But I found way more success in not doing that, and easier and faster. But maybe, maybe I'm just weird or unique. So
0: no, you're actually not. um, You know, when indie publishing started happening, like there was this stigma of, "Oh, yeah, it's just lower quality." Whereas now, because the competition's so stiff. Like there's tons of books on Amazon and like 2 million a day or something being added every day. Like you have to write good quality books or else you'll just get sunk. And so I think there is a shift.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Like I said, I feel like the books that I'm into are indie published as opposed to the traditionally published ones, just because um, I find the traditionally published ones not as engaging, I guess. A lot of them are uh, a little more boring I know that sounds weird, but they're not as, like, super interesting, um, whereas I feel like a lot of the indie stuff is is fun, it's exciting, it's an adventure. If, I, I guess it's hard to explain, but, like, that video game book I was talking about earlier, I was ready for a fun video game adventure, and what it turned out to be was a really sad, depressing girl at school who can't make any friends because video games, and then someone has a lawsuit against her and then she's really sad maybe her best friend isn't going to be friends with her and I'm just like I'm not into this you know what I'm saying I came here for an adventure I came here to be like video games are fun like not video games are the root of all evil you know what I'm saying like um so I feel like and I, I mean this is generalizing but a lot of the books that are published from major publishers right now feel very depressing or I don't know like Morally philosophizing to the point where I'm not enjoying it anymore. But a lot of indie stuff is like, hey, and then we're on an adventure, and we've got a unicorn and there's a <laughs> dragon, and I'm like, whoa, oh my goodness, like, let's do this. So,
0: no, being you know, when you're in control, you can be a little bit more more free with your imagination, too. Whereas with a traditionally uh, publishing house, with a traditional publishing house. They, they're always looking for specific things like what's selling now, like, okay, we want more of that. So you, you kind of have a little bit more freedom being indie published for sure.
1: Oh no, I agree. Um, that's a very short story. When I one of my books got traditionally published, I had an editor who wanted me to change a ton of things, including killing off one of the main characters. And to this day, I remember just arguing with this guy relentlessly in like emails and on the phone and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't want to kill this character. And he's like, no, no, we got to You got to kill the the characters and you got to do X, Y, and Z. And it was very frustrating. It felt really weird. They had already purchased the book from me. So there was a piece, you know, I was like, I thought you guys liked the story already. Why would I change like a million things about it? But so that was frustrating. And as an indie publisher, obviously, I get to make the final call on everything. And I don't have to argue with anybody about anything, you know, like maybe an editor will be like, hey, maybe you should change this. But I just ultimately get to decide. So...
0: Just as long as you don't start arguing with yourself, I think you'll be okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Uh, well, sometimes I get into weird dilemmas where I'm like, oh, no, should I do this or should I do that?
0: <laughs> yeah, but that's just pros and cons, right? You're just making your list.
1: Yeah. Making your list. Yeah, exactly. Well,
0: tell everybody how they can get a hold of you and find your books.
1: Uh, okay. Um Well, you can... Yeah, you can find me at um, sastovallauthor.com. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter. My handles on those are Game Over Station um, or just typing in Shammy Stovall to Google will bring you all my social media and all my web pages. Um, Shammy is S-H-A-M-I, all five letters. <laughs> um, and, uh, and on Amazon, if you just type in Frith Chronicles, um, Nightmare with a K uh, or any of those or like Arcanist, Starmark Rising, my name always pops up on all the places
0: too. Fantastic. Shami, I appreciate you joining me today. It was a good talk. I, I appreciate all the insight that you gave us. Yeah, it was, it was a lot
1: of fun, actually. I had a great time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.